0: Good morning. It's uh, it was a, it was a strange thing last, last yesterday afternoon about four o'clock. Um, I realized that, uh, I'm preaching tomorrow. Not that I hadn't prepared, but Lynn will tell you, I, I, it happens that on a night before you preach, um, at least for many of us, there's just something in your brain clicks and says, Oh yeah, everything you have planned is awful. You need God. And so, it usually happens about 6 o'clock. I can be at a movie. I can be at my family's home, you know, my extended family. But something just clicks. And Lynn sometimes can go, it just happened, didn't it? Um, Doug, however, had a wonderful evening last night because he's not preaching this morning. So, um, if you notice Doug around today, Pastor Doug, uh, just shake his hand and say thanks. That was an excellent Advent series. And I thought his Christmas me- message about presence, about I see you, was excellent. I didn't get to hear it. I was out throwing salt all over the place, which is weird that last week we went through almost a 50-gallon barrel of salt during the services. And today, (laughs) we live in Michigan. I'll just leave it alone. so uh, we're starting a new series today, and it's w- traditionally in the last 10 years, um, uh, we go through a, a gospel between, and we're starting a little bit earlier than normal, between Epiphany, which is after the 12, so Christmas and 12 days of Christmas, there's the, the, in the church calendar Epiphany, and through Epif- Epiphany through Easter. And um, the reason behind that is simple, it's that it... If Easter is about the sacrifice that the God of the universe made when he was in bodily form for us, it's wise for those who call themselves Christians, people who follow Jesus, to be very familiar with his life, his work, his words, his suffering, his death and his resurrection. So today we're in Luke. This will be the third time since I've been here at community that we've walked through the gospel according to Luke. So But there's one passage early in the gospel according to Luke that that I don't know, some of you may have gone through your whole lives without ever hearing it read, and it is not exciting. It's the genealogy. And there's a reason Luke put it in his gospel. Matthew put it in the gospel as well. And there's a reason why Luke put it where he put it. So it is the word of God. And so I think it's wise that it be proclaimed. Um, So today, after a prayer, I'm going to read the genealogy. And trust me, I'm going to mess up some of the names because they are odd in our culture. But a couple of things um, before we get to the reading, and a little, little intro to Luke, and then, and then we'll offer the prayer. One, um, Luke is the author of more verses in the New Testament than Paul. We often say Paul is the author of about two-thirds of the New Testament. And that is true if you go by epistles slash letters slash, you know, books. Um, but Luke actually wrote more of the New Testament than any other author. So you have Luke and Acts, you put all that together, and Luke is the most prolific of the New Testament uh, composers. That's number one. Number two, um, it's often good, in fact, it's always good for us to know why the, why the person is writing this particular book. Now, it tells us here that Luke um, is writing to Theophilus. I, I always say the name wrong, but a buddy of his. And, and he, he'd done a bunch of, um, he'd, he'd interviewed a bunch of the eyewitnesses. So he, he wanted to, to make sure that there was an orderly account of the beginning of Jesus' ministry all the way through to the beginning of the church being started. And so he wrote Luke, Acts, as one kind of continuous anthology. But who's he writing for? He's writing to all people. Yes, he has a particular, a particular bent toward those that are Jewish, especially Jewish believers, so that they're reconvinced, so to speak, of, of, of the person of Jesus and that he is the promised Messiah. But Luke's not a Jew, he knew Greek better than any of the New Testament writers. He's very, very articulate. He's very careful with his word choices. And he was a doctor. And we don't know this for sure, but some of my wife's research in the, um, the, the study guides for this gospel of Luke, um, some of her research said that it's possible that, that before this, Luke had been a slave because most of the most trusted physicians were people that had been captured and enslaved, not the slavery that we think of, but treated as a member of the household, but still not still owned wholly owned and operated by a particular family and because they wanted them within their midst they 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 had their training, and it's not the same kind of training that doctors have have today obviously but but so it we don't know this, but it's possible. Many doctors, most doctors were slaves of a particular particular, um, higher up in the culture. Now, whether he was or not, we do know this. Luke is particularly concerned with people who don't have power, who do not have influence, who do not have authority. So, today, In the reading of the genealogy, I just let you know this about Matthew and Luke and their genealogies. Matthew starts at the beginning with Abraham and moves forward to Jesus. Luke starts with Jesus and goes all the way back to Adam. And there's a reason behind that. So let me pray, and you'll get more background on Luke as we progress in this series, but let me pray. We'll read this. I just never thought I would be preaching by reading a genealogy but it is let's pray. <laughs> Lord, your your scriptures are exciting. And sometimes when we're reading devotionally we get to Numbers 11 or Matthew 3 or Matthew 1 or Luke 3 or Leviticus as a whole, we just see lists and lists and lists, and we can kind of just skip over it. We might read hard word, hard word, hard word, flip, 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 but it's Your Word, Lord. It's, It's what You want us to know, and there's a reason You have it canonized. So Lord, help us listen to the genealogy of Jesus. Help us understand that Luke has it here for a reason. And help us hear what you might have to say to us as a result. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you would have us see, hear, and receive. Lord, this is your message for us, not my message for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Matthew puts his genealogy right at the beginning which is probably where it should be, right? I mean, right away. Luke puts it between the baptism of Jesus and the temptations of Jesus. So, Pastor Doug read the the infancy narrative, the Christmas story last week out of the gospel, according to Luke. And um, it's, it's unusual that a genealogy would start right before Jesus' ministry, but that's where it starts, and it goes like this. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying, uh, as he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry, and he was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Methad, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of either Nagai or Nagai, the son of Moth, the son of Mattathias, the son of Samin, the son of Josech, the son of Joda, the son of Joanan, the son of Reza, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Nerai, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joreen, the son of Methot, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim." Who is was the son of Malia, the son of Menah. the son of Metatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nasham, the son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of, here's my hard one, Mahalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Now, it is hard to get excited and to And to read with passion, the son of Enoch. Why is it here? Why does it fit where it where it is? Jesus had just been baptized, and not only Jesus heard, but apparently other witnesses heard the voice of God from heaven, the Father, saying, You are my son, I love you, and in you I am well pleased. And then just after this, what we'll preach through next week, Jesus wanders into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil himself while fasting. God, the Father, says, this is my son. And that might mean much to Jewish people because they are the Chosen people. They are the ones that God picked when He when He disinherited the nations, He picked one, a ragamuffin group of people, not warriors, not Uber rich, nothing like that. He picked He picked Abraham and built a people from Abraham. So the the, the Israelites or the, the Jewish people, they've been anticipating a Messiah, a, the son of David, one who sits on David's throne and will sit on David's throne forever. They're anticipating, yes, that. But and that's why Matthew takes Jesus' lineage back to Abraham. But what about all of those people who know nothing of Jewish heritage? What about all of those people who wonder, what does this have to do for me? Or what's in it for me? Or what does it do for me? Or why should it matter to me? So Luke tells the people who may be reading this, that this isn't just the Jewish story. It's humanity's story. There's a reason he takes it all the way back. See, Matthew has this, there's 14 generations from Abraham, and then there's 14 generations from Moses, and then there's 14 generations until until Jesus. This, we're going back to the beginning. And it's interesting to me that not many people think of, of Adam like this, but it says that Adam, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. I will remind you of some of the things we said this summer and fall that God, when he picked a people or when he created humanity, he's got, he's got family in heaven. There's father, son, spirit. And then there's the Council of God, the heavenly hosts. And he wanted a family for himself on earth. And he started that with Adam and then with Eve and then all the people that have come from that but to have Adam be called the son of God, not the Messiah, but the one who began the whole thing. And who messed it up? Some men like to argue that it was Eve. But you know that Adam was given authority over the earth before Eve was created. And Adam could have any time spoken up and said, "Uh, ah, I know it looks like it's good for food, but uh, uh-uh. remember what the Lord said. Remember what the one who walks with us in the cool of the day, who knows us, who loves us, who walks with us, who talks with us. Remember what he said. And it, remember that serpent, he, you know, he, he, he didn't quote God exactly and he didn't call him the good one. He called him the great one. Like he's just about power. And he says that we can be like him. Adam could have at any time said, hey, honey. Even if this means that you don't want to be around me, then I'm going to get the cold shoulder. No. And he didn't. In fact, when she ate, he did nothing. And because of Adam, all fall. Why does this genealogy go all the way back to Adam? Because of Adam, all fall. Not just Jewish people not just pagan people, all people. And so the authority of God shows up, the voice of God shows up in in bodily form as a dove, the Holy Spirit of God. And God the Father speaks and says, this is my son. And then Luke says, he's the son of God as Adam was the son of God. So what Adam made wrong, Jesus will make right. Where Adam did nothing, he didn't lead courageously, he didn't speak up, he didn't, he didn't take, he didn't sacrifice for the moment for God's greater reward down the road, but Jesus will. In every instance, he will do the hard thing because it's the right thing. In every circumstance, he will speak truth boldly to power and to those who have none. Jesus this is what's known as the recapitulation theory of the atonement. When Jesus dies and, 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 he, and, and he goes to hell and, and he's raised from the dead and he ascends to the father, the recapitulation theory of the atonement is that because of Adam all died, or all, all, all fall and all die, Jesus is the second Adam. And he makes everything right that humanity's put wrong. That's why it's here. It's here so that the hearers, the readers, the, even the non, especially the non-Jewish people will read this and go, it's not just a Jewish story. It's a human story. So we have some decisions to make just because of this particular genealogy. Do we believe that Jesus' story is a human story? That Jesus' story is the human story? Does he live the life that God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, when, when we were made, when we were created, th- does Jesus live the life that the Godhead wanted humanity to live from the beginning? Or is it just a story and a bunch of names? Either Adam sinned, And all, everything that's wrong with the world is a result of that. Or that's just an origin story so that Jesus can be a superhero. How many superheroes do you know that die at the hands of the people he's coming to save? Do you believe that Jesus' story is your story? Because if it's not, to put it boldly, why are you here? Why pretend? Because there's almost nothing in the gospel according to Luke that's just about moralism. It's just about how do you do good things? How are you civilized? Luke, all the Gospels, the whole of the canon of Scripture is here to say, the God of the universe made you, loves you, and grieves the fact that you've chosen to do what you want to do instead of what God wants to do. And the God of the universe has pursued all of humanity, every each individual person throughout history, and you to call you back to him and to then enable you to live a life that expresses to others who your God is. Even though it doesn't seem like it when you read it, this particular genealogy is saying to you and to me, it doesn't matter who you are, it matters whose you are. Luke is particularly concerned about people who get caught up in the worries of the world. Who's not in the midst of that? Yes, inflation's down a little bit. Yes, gas is down a little bit. Yeah, the stock market's kind of stabilizing. But which of us looks at the world around us and goes, things are going to work out okay? Was Jesus worried when he walked this planet? Was Jesus concerned through all the stories that you read when the Pharisees come up and call him out? Was he concerned when he had interactions with government officials, with centurions? Was Jesus concerned when he was being tried? Did he want it? No, I mean, he's in the garden and he's sweating blood and he says to the Father, this cup of suffering, if you can take it, if there's any other way but what you want, not what I want. If his story is your story, then why do we fret? Why not a quiet confidence in who God is what he has done, and what he's gonna do. When's he gonna do it? This might be the year, no idea. If he ever tells me, I'll tell you, and then you'll kick me out. He doesn't want me to know what's coming and when it's coming, he wants me to know him. And he wants me to have confidence in him and he wants me to know the scriptures well enough so that i can go that happened that happened it got that bad and god showed up that happened that happened and that happened and because god never changes i can be sure that even though they were in exile for 400 years even though they were in exile in Babylon for 70-something years, even though God was silent for 400 years between Malachi and the Gospels, is God done? No. If I know the Scriptures, I can see that God has been faithful. Why give us those old stories? Because we always respond from our own history. I'll give you an example. Then we'll close it off. I had a boss right out of college who used to say something, and I've told some of you this before, used to say something that just, oh he would say in a really nice voice, you know what you need to do? That's an order in the form of, let me offer you some advice. Because I found out that if you know what you need to do, and, and he would say something, if I didn't get it done, that then I was gonna be in trouble for it. So I cannot, from this day uh, I, every time, any anytime anyone says, you know what you need to do? <sighs> right? It's called an amygdala hijack. Your your brain, the, the right above the brainstem, there's this thing called the amygdala. And the amygdala, it says, it, it says there's a saber-toothed tiger. It remembers experiences, especially those that are negative, to protect you from future negative experiences. But if you say to me, you know what you need to do, you're not the guy that used to say it that, that burned that into my brain. See, we are reactionary creatures. And because things happen that are bad and, we're, and it's difficult and it's frustrating, and yes, this does have something to do with the genealogy of Jesus. Because if you look at those, you look at those people, some of them you recognize, Some of them you don't. Those that you recognize, look at their lives. They were hard. They were tested. And many of them remained faithful. You think the other people on this list didn't have difficult lives? You think they didn't want to react instead of remain faithful? See, God gives us the history of his people so that when we face things now, we can go, oh, God's still trustworthy. God still holds the future. God is still the one who can set up and tear down whole kingdoms. God, in the name, in the person of Jesus, is the name by which every knee will bow some voluntarily let that be us some will be forced to their knees please god don't let that be us and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord he's not done he loves you deeply and he wants for you and for me for us when we look at the world around us and we see the circumstances He wants us to say, I belong to the Lord. I have nothing to fear. A quiet confidence from God's people will communicate to the world that there's something more than the stuff of earth. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the story of the genealogy for the people we've never heard of that are written in the book of life. And Lord, thank you for those that we have heard of, whose stories we know, because they give us confidence that you are God, that we are not, and while we don't know the future, we know the one who does. And Lord, jokingly, I say, when I, when I get to be where you are, whoever's name I mispronounced, have them come up to me and shake my hand and and tell me how to say it right, because I know that a name means something. It tells us who we are, but so many of the Old Testament names tell them whose they are. Help us, Lord, be the people that live our lives in such a way that we trust you, and it shows. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.